Hello, and welcome to episode 95 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, July 21st, 2022. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? Just fine. How are you? I'm good. It's summer here, which means it's 55 degrees, and I wear a wool hat when I'm walking the dog. But I feel really bad bragging about that because the rest <laughs> of the country is like a blazing inferno. Well, that's true. And, I, and I'm trying to embrace the opportunity to go through my hats and wear them all. That was that was my, my thought this morning as I was like, rah, 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 rah. It is a weird thing. It this, is weird thing. And that is why we always have our little weather report here at the <laughs> beginning. You're so good to listen to it. I mean, it's fascinating, obviously. <laughs> it's the opposite of what everyone thinks are, of California. True. We are sending We're, you all cooling vibes. Yes. So as we have entered our, our normal summer weather, the episode will be very normal for summer. On the needles, on the easel, on the table, on the nightstand, and bingo. Exciting news, folks. I finally got a bingo. Congratulations. Spoiler alert. I am pretty excited because oh, I guess we're about halfway through. Yeah. A little more. Yeah. I'm I'm making good progress. Yeah. No bingo yet. But. It is a marathon and we can't win prizes anyway. So that's right. <laughs> it doesn't actually matter. All right. On the needles. Exciting things. I did not make quite as much progress as I had hoped in all of my various projects, but I did finish my mermaid socks. The Geek Socks Pattern by Way S. Long, which was in Nitty, which means it's free because Nitty is awesome. And the yarn is Fiber Nymph Dye Works Bounce. And the colorway is Your Mermazing. They are bright and fabulous. And they came with two mini skeins for doing heels and toes. So one in pink, one in green. They have multiple stripes of green and multiple stripes of pink and a little yellow stripe as well. And they are super fun. You used slip stitches to make little wavy bits in the stripes. So it's a very fun pattern. And I had made it before, but I think they were gift socks. So I don't actually own socks in this pattern. So I was excited to now have socks in this pattern. They're really fun. Aren't they fun? Totally. And then I did the cuffs and toes in opposite colors just because I'm wacky like that. I did an OMG heel on both of these to try it out for me. I've been using that pattern for my husband. And I think it isn't quite the right heel for me, but it does work very well with self-striping yarn. So for that, I am pleased with it. And I also feel like I somehow added a couple of stitches right before the toe of the second sock because it feels a little wide before it gets goes down to where it should be, which I don't understand. I don't know if maybe the pink yarn is oh, wider like Maybe. took the dye differently and it just made things bigger i don't know it i put them on today and it just felt a little looser than i would like it and i don't know why so it's kind of a mystery and you're wearing your beautiful plum hoodie that you knitted too which yes. one was this um no idea <laughs> <laughs> it's from the heart on heart on my sleeve collection, which you can no longer get as a collection, but it was really fun. It's a knitwear kind of day. It is, and um, yeah, and I was wearing a knit hat earlier. So again, that is summer in San Francisco. 
So I got those socks done, which was very exciting. And then I worked a little bit on my Dead Marshes socks by Claire Ellen in my Sincere Sheep Cormo Light Fingering in the colorway SF Summer. And I am, I think, on the second foot. And I was totally convinced I was just going to go ahead and finish those. And then I realized I needed something portable because boy one was having his wisdom teeth out. So I wanted something to to work on. And my other project is a sweater and that wasn't really going to be portable. I mean, I could have taken it, but it seemed a bit much. Yeah, Socks would be easier. So I was holding off on that and then I ended up, it went much faster and I was running errands and ended up not having any knitting time. So those are kind of paused right now. I will probably pick them up soon and finish them off because they are pretty close to being done. And then I will figure out what what socks I want to have on the go next. But I haven't quite gotten there. But mostly what I have been working on is my rainbow sweater by Yelly. And I'm so close to being done. I really thought I was going to have another finished object. All I have left is maybe another inch of the hem. And then I have to... Uh, graft close the sleeves so so close it looks good I think it's gonna fit I did kind of screw up the sleeve underarm bind off which was totally a me problem she told me at one point to divide by two and I did not so we'll see how this goes I think it's gonna be really really fun and comfy and you made yeah. so much progress on that I saw the post the like the in progress photo yes yeah well i mean i had done all of the body and all of the sleeves so it was just the top part of it the yoke and the and it's a raglan so you're decreasing the only tricky part was i chose the v-neck version which meant i needed to knit back and forth instead of in the round so then it's more purling which i'm slower at but it's okay and then you pick up along the neckline and do a ribbing neck which went actually quite surprisingly quickly and then you basically have a sweater so there was the picking up for the hem as well so now I'm knitting around and around in two by two rib but it's going going pretty quickly I went out one night and then I was in the middle of a really good book that I'll be talking about later so I I wasn't doing as much knitting but I'm very excited the yarn for this is from teal torch knits their DK base and I bought a mermaid gradient at Stitches West that is just beautiful, blues and greens and purples. And then the main color is a gray called Hallowed Ground 2.0. And it's just this beautiful, perfect medium gray that I love. And the, the yarn is very nice and comfy. And I think it's just going to be great and might actually be able to wear it right now if this weather keeps up. Because it'll just be a comfy wear around the house kind of thing. There's a bit of a mermaid theme in your knitting these days. There is. I'm not quite sure how that happened, but it did. It's kind of fun. It's totally fun. Yep. Gives me an idea. Oh, and yeah, I think that's all my knitting for right now. So I will definitely have new projects next time, I think, unless I go back and find some old things. But actually, I'm going to be doing a test knit for a sweater, so I need to get on that. Uh, that's why I'm trying to finish the rainbow sweater. Tell me more. Oh, so for my knitting retreat, they're trying a new thing for next year. We're going to have a sweater along where one of the women attendees is a designer. And so she's designed a sweater for us. And 
she's going to give it to all the attendees and you can knit it if you want. And then we all wear our sweaters and take a picture. And so she asked for people to do the test knit. So I said I would do that. So I'm, I had a plan for the yarn because it, there, it involves some stripes or it doesn't have to, but the one I'm doing is going to have stripes. I had a plan and that wasn't going to work. And so then I come up with another plan that I think will work. We shall see. And then I need to actually knit the thing. That's exciting. That's kind of cool to test out a pattern. Yeah. It would be like testing out a recipe or. Mm -hmm. It's fun. And it's been, and it's been tech edited and I know a lot of the other people that are testing it. So fun. people are chatting and whatnot, and it should be interesting to see how they all turn out and then get to show it off next year. Cool. And that is all my knitting. Okay. Well, I have some sewing. This is a weird sewing project, but it's something that I do now and again. So I was brave with color and I bought a pair of pink denim. Whoa. Um, I was not expecting that. Yeah. They're really beautiful. I got them from Banana Republic and they were on sale. They were a little bit too big and I didn't they didn't have, because they were on sale, you know, they ha only had limited sizing. And so I thought it would be a good opportunity to try and alter them to fit. They were also a very high rise, which I do not care for. And so I was attempting to lower the rise, slim down the leg, and the hem is not complicated because they're a raw edged denim. And so the real complicated part was taking down the rise, which means that I had to take apart the crotch and measure to reduce by about an about an inch and a half, inch and three quarters. Oh, wow. And denim, because it takes up space, if you go too far, like game over, there's no letting <laughs> no letting it out really. So I you had can't block to, it out. No, I you had to tread carefully there. And fitting one's self is tricky. And so I thought just from the phasing of this that I should start with the rise because that was my biggest problem and then work out the slimming down the legs and then hem last because every change you make affects how the pants fall on you. And it was, it was kind of an interesting process. And it really was pretty involved because... Denim always has top stitching and reinforcements, and you have to take all of that apart with care and then redo them. So it involved both my machines, the serger and the big singer. My only hiccup was that my thread, it was the right color match, but it wasn't the right width um, or gauge. I could have used a little bit heavier thread. And because the stitching is so precise, I don't really want to go over it a second time and like bungle it up because it's pretty easy to misstep with top stitching, especially on thick denim. However, this is not a spot that people are going to scrutinize. <laughs> Hopefully not. Hopefully. It worked. Like I, I only had to take out the, how do I say this? Not the front to back seam, but it's the inner leg seam I'm like, I'm like I know she's car. like looking at my <laughs> she's making uh, hand gestures what am I, I supposed to do so I took it down about eight inches which is a lot because yeah. because of how you have to ease in the stitches mm -hmm. to get the top stitching correct again so I really had to disassemble 
the pants. And then the side seams I only did from the pocket down, which was easy because it's you're not if you're not dealing with the reinforcements on the pocket, you can just kind of ease it in and go straight away. And that one, the crotch seam was actually really straightforward. I did my measurements correct and that fit fine. I didn't go as far as I should have on the leg seams. And so I had to do those twice, Mm. like go back over it, which wasn't terrible because then I had reinforced stitches there. And then I surged all of those edges so that they were finished off. I didn't have exactly the right color, but again, nobody can see that. It's, it's inside. And in case you're wondering why I took in the outside leg seam when I was doing inside leg seam adjustments, it's because of the top stitching. Like, I just think it's, it was cleaner to do the straightaway. There's no top stitching on the outer leg. And so I could just like take it in and do it. And I have had trouble taking in on the inside seam and how you build pants. When you're building a pair of pants from scratch, the patterns always say to make your leg seam adjustments from the outside. So in case you're wondering, that's why I did that. And then the raw edged denim cuffs were really easy because you just cut them off. Except that with Banana Republic, even though it's a rough edge denim, they did reinforce with like a bar tack on the the cuff where the seams are so that when you're walking and you kick it, it doesn't tear at the seam. So I just thought that even though it's a, a raw edge denim, that they still took a minute to do that bit of quality. So I'm really happy with this kind of involved yeah. alteration and that I did it for myself and now they're 100% wearable. I I would not have worn them before. And it saved me from sending them back. And it just felt like a really worthwhile project. So, so I was brave with color with the pink there. It's like a beautiful blush pink and I'm excited to wear them in like a warmer. Yeah. They'll go really good with my darker pink shoes. Nice to wear in a warmer. Sounds super fun. Maybe too, they might be too warm for a hundred degree weather, but, and then my other, I'm just going to pop it in here, Brave with Color. I ordered my 2023 planner in a goldenrod yellow, and I'm really excited about it. So twice Brave with Color this week. And then on the easel, finished objects, people. Yay. Thank you. I finished my penguin piece. Penguin. <laughs> My pigeon piece for the pigeon show, which is coming. Yeah, yeah, right. For the pigeon show that's coming up in a couple weeks. It's called Double Dutch. It's in my Instagram, and I'm really happy with it. It is the same flavor of like what I did for my calendar art. I think it has kind of an interest. Like this bird has, I have a whole monologue for this bird. You know, he just feels like he is, he's, it's an, it's a Dutch cappuccino pigeon and he has a really ruffled neck and he's standing next to a Delft vase with those parrot tulips, the really ruffled tulips. And I feel like he's edging his way in, like he feels as beautiful as those tulips basically is what's going on. 
And then there's little things echoed in it. Like a pigeon has a really interesting heart-shaped beak for like how his nostrils are. And, and the Delft vase is kind of heart-shaped. And then on the Delft vase is a bird and a butterfly in the corner of it. And so there's a pigeon and then there's a little butterfly balancing out the, the piece. So I'm thrilled with the pigeon piece and I, I hope it sells. And if not, I'm okay with it because I really like it and I can put it up in open studios. It's very cool. Thank you. How big is it? Uh, 12 by 12. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a nice size. Yeah. I also finished uh, the commission that I had, which I didn't really talk about too much because it's a, it's a private commission for a bar mitzvah. And it was an interesting drawing of the Golden Gate Bridge with the St. Louis Arch and a Hamsa, a Jewish protective hand. I think what I want to share with people was that, so this was a really big drawing. It's 24 by 28, I think, 22 by 28. And that's bigger than my easel. And so I drew this at my kitchen island. And it's an ink. So ink pen and then uh, acrylic ink. And I think that what I felt when I was drawing it was I was a little nervous with just the pen when I was drawing with the pen. It feels very permanent. I know I'm not going to paint over anything. You know, it's like there's no hiding. It felt really high contrast, very high stakes. You know, if I mess it up, I start again. But as soon as I picked up the paintbrush to do the the bigger areas in jet or carbon ink, I was so much more comfortable with a brush in my hand. Interesting. I know. I just thought that that was... I like to notice what I'm noticing, and that took me by surprise. <laughs> so I am thrilled with the overall piece. I think it's really clean and crisp and it is off to its new home. And now I am working on, okay, so I was, I tried a new material. Oh, cool. I have had a desire to do sculpture for a long time. And we talked about this maybe even like a year and a half ago. And I had bought some stone clay, which is like a paper clay and it is air dry, and I thought that I would just play around with it, and I don't know what I thought I was going to do with it. But there is a show coming up called The Brush Show, and I was sort of inspired to try and sculpt a crane, a whooping crane. And so I brought out that stone clay, and I gave made some like armature legs out of wire, and I just spent an hour sculpting this bird in paper clay and I love him I sculpted the body and then I had some like um, tracing paper laying next to me and the texture and the slight opacity of it made it look like the feathers and so I glued some of the tissue paper to the tail end of this bird and I'm going to paint it, and then I think I'm going to nestle it in that grove of brushes for 
the brush show. That's that's what's in my head. I'm also about to leave for a week. And so <laughs> and when I come back, I only have like two days to pull this together. Well, it sounds awesome. We'll see. It's If it comes together, great. If not, I feel like it was still a great opportunity to play around with a new material, which yeah. is fun. Did you post him on Instagram as well? I did. Um, I feel like I saw a little snippet in my stories because oh, okay. I wasn't sure how it was going to come out. But I, every day I see him and think, oh, this is this is delightful. Oh, good. I got to figure out how to make his knobby knees literally with a knot. I think string. Yeah, it's fun. So, cool. yeah, that's that's what I've been working on. Nice. All right, on the table, I have. A few little things to talk about before we get to our review. Oh, I forgot to mention we're doing the review this week. Hooray. So I went back into East, which is a book that we reviewed last year, I guess. This week has been very soft food focused. For both of us. Yeah, so not terribly exciting. I made some really good mashed potatoes, though. <laughs> they're really good because I was trying to make sure they were super creamy. Because yeah. usually I'm kind of like, oh, whatever, they're mashed. <laughs> There's lots yeah. of chunks in them. This one, I could not. So anyway, so those were really good. Before that, I made again the summer palau, and it is still delicious and still not particularly summery, but very tasty. And so this is a rice dish where you start off sauteing some spices, actually not even really spices, onion, garlic, and serrano peppers all, you know, diced up. And then you add tomatoes and cinnamon stick and cashews and the rice and coconut milk and let it all kind of cook and i guess you add the tomatoes first and cook them down a little bit and then add all the stuff and then you just let it cook in the pan and yeah it's pretty fantastic pretty easy there is a little bit of time to develop the flavors with the onions and the tomatoes and whatnot but overall i was pleased that it was still yummy and people liked it and then i tried a new one from that which i think i'm actually counting as my new recipe chili tofu which doesn't sound terribly exciting and new and is basically i think of it as like a sweet and sour tofu so that was kind of cool i guess it's based on an indo-chinese recipe for chili paneer but since it's a vegan cookbook she whacked the cheese and made it tofu which was fine although paneer in this sounds pretty delicious also and she describes it as being sticky hot sweet and sour so all sorts of great flavors so this one has cumin and garlic, and again, the serrano peppers, tomato paste, soy sauce, sugar, and then green and red bell peppers. So this one was, again, super simple, but again, takes time to develop the flavors, let it cook a while and get everything all kind of dark and condensed. And so it's this really dark red sauce, and you add some water to make it more saucy. And she has you deep fry, or deep fry, like... Saute. Saute, but with a you know, a good hunk of oil, which I decided I didn't want to do. I threw my tofu cubes in the oven. It gets them pretty firm and crisp, and it's just easier than <laughs> frying things. And I since like it's only 55 degrees here, I don't have to worry about heating up the kitchen with my oven. Right. I liked that trick about dusting the tofu in like cornstarch or something yeah. to help it crisp up. Yeah. So yeah. I did that. So that worked. And so you make the sauce. And so I did that. And that took about the same amount of time while the tofu was in the oven. And then you dump it in, dump the tofu into the pan for a while and let it kind of soak up the flavors. And 
I probably cut my spices in half, but upped the liquids. And I served it with rice, which she didn't say you were supposed to do, but I'm not authentically Chinese or Indian, so I can do what I want. <laughs> and it was delicious. And it had all that great sauce. Yeah. And I couldn't really serve it with like naan because gluten. So it worked out really well. I was pleased. So probably if I'd done it actual way, it might have it would have been spicier. But for us, it was a really nice combo of the sweet and spicy. And so I really liked that. Awesome. Yeah, it was nice to jump back in and try a new recipe from that book. Aside from snacks for dinner, which we're going to chat about, I really only have one recipe. We also did wisdom teeth this week, and it was not particularly fun. I didn't even get to make the mashed potatoes. He was just super uncomfortable. So I did make, however, this lentil. It was supposed to be creamy lentils with artichokes and spinach. And I know I talked about artichokes last week, but I had a whole, I had like eight of them. So we had had fresh artichokes and I had done like an artichoke pasta and then I still had artichokes. (laughs) So (laughs) I did this, um, I did this dish that I found online that I was just trying to use up the, the rest of the artichokes. The artichoke spinach part was almost like a gratin Mm. and it had a little bit of cheese in it and lots of garlic and it was like a great saute. And then you're supposed to spoon it over the creamy lentils, which I went back to basics on the lentils and tried to do all of the things that you're supposed to do to lentils to make them taste better, to make them taste like anything, you know toasted them in the pan before adding the liquid and then adding a lot of olive oil and not a lot, but you know, olive like flavor and then adding all of the herbs right from the beginning so that it absorbs all of that great flavor. I also did chicken stock instead of water just Mm. to kind of amp them up. In the end, I still prefer lentils when it's like half lentils, half rice. You know, it's yeah. just they're they need help. They need help. And really what this recipe needed was pancetta. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean it, Yeah. That I mean they helps. really needed I tried the mushroom powder that I love from Trader Joe's. I added balsamic vinegar. I like mm. I threw everything at these lentils. And I also recognize that this was like a medley or a trio, a lentil trio. And Mm. so sometimes if I do, remember that great lentil recipe? It's like a red lentil soup from, I want to say either Simply Julia or Tuesday Nights. I can't remember. I think it's Simply Julia. That one has so much flavor, and I wonder if it's a lentil conveyance issue, you know, and and not necessarily, like it might have been the trio that was the problem. Yeah. Anyway, I loved the gratin part. I wish I had done half rice, half lentils with some like pancetta or something super umami in there. And then, then the rest is snacks for dinner. Yeah. All right, let's dive in. So Snacks for Dinner by Lucas Holger. 
Small bites, full plates, can't lose. I really appreciate a lot of what he's doing, though, on the internets, because he did, he does Oatmeal Week every year in the... Oatmeal Month, isn't it? Oatmeal Month. Yeah. Sorry. Yep, you're right. And I feel like he has a like a great appreciation for alternative grains. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So this is the second book of his that I own. I got Start Simple, which came out maybe two years ago. That one, I, there was a lot of recipes that I really enjoyed, and I still go back to that quite a bit. Uh, so I was very excited because he is vegetarian and easily vegan, all his cookbooks are. So for my household, that is very nice. Yeah, and then, as I said, I've been doing a lot of this kind of snacks, small plates, dining. There's a whole section of it in Weekday Vegetarian, so it's clearly a thing. So I was very excited to test this out. Any first thoughts? I have a lot of thoughts about this book. This, while we totally eat vegetables, <laughs> we are not vegetarian. And so for me, this was more like sides and snacks. The story behind it is that he and his partner were at a friend's house and she had invited them to lunch and they sat down and there was no food cooking and she was pulling pieces out of the fridge and like components, you know, which is absolutely how I make a salad every night of the week. And so I thought, oh my gosh, that's going to be great. I will make these components and put them in the fridge and then be able to do component dinner at the end of the week. And so I embarked on making components. The problem is I live with three other people who <laughs> it doesn't matter if I make a cup of roasted pistachio nuts or four cups of roasted pistachio nuts, all of them will get eaten. Ah. There's no safe zone. There's no <laughs> safe zone. And so... Every time I made a component, it would get eaten, which is a really good sign, yeah. except that there was never any snacks to pull together ah. into a meal. This is so not a criticism of the book. This is this is my household. So they would eat them during the day. Yeah. Or I would roast some nuts. Or be like, or, oh, appetizers. Or warm some <laughs> olives, you know, or or have olives in the fridge to warm and do this thing and then as we were standing there and talking about our day and waiting for something else to finish up i would turn around and the item would be gone oh dear <laughs> which is not everything i mean the pickled stuff made its way into the fridge and i love pickles so they made their way into my salads but on the whole like as a concept my guys snack until it's dinner time and then they want a whole entire meal. Mm, so that is tricky. Slightly. However. In a few years. This is great for snacks. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and it would be great if it was just me. And the one night when it was just me and I did a couple things from this was wonderful and great for just me. And I will say one thing that kind of occurred to me is that it's vegetarian, but it's not vegetable heavy. So, like, if you're looking for vegetable side dishes, this is probably not the book to go for. It's things, he has dips, and then you can dip your fresh vegetables in there, which is great. And there's a couple of them that we'll talk about, but it's a lot of more snacky things. Yeah. So that that I thought was interesting. But the other, the things, I found very many delicious recipes to accompany 
vegetables that and, I want to serve. And you were able to compose a meal out of this. I did. At which I also served meatballs. <laughs> okay, thank you. I was feeling like a complete failure. Oh, no, definitely, because uh, it kept happening like I would have it on Friday and then both boys would be home and the girlfriend and, you know, husband would be home. So it was a lot of people and I needed to serve the teenagers meat. So one night I ordered fried chicken from somewhere from a place down the street from us. And one night I gave them meatballs. So, you know, it was in the spirit of the snacky dinner. Yeah. Right. It was not anything complicated that I made, but there was definitely for my people, they wanted a little more protein. I think for Simon and I, it would have been fine. We would have been happy. He's a whole part in the beginning about how to compose this. And I don't think he expects you to make, you know, six components at a time, which I did because I wanted to test as many recipes right. as possible. Whereas I was trying to make ahead my components and they were yeah. being subsequently eaten. <laughs> Tricky. Which is a good sign. Tricky. But anyway. All right. So he divides the book into sections based on kind of the flavor profile and how the item is going to be used. Because you want to have a variety, like in any meal, you want to have a variety of tastes and textures and whatnot. So they're all divided up. And then his theory is you grab a couple from each and maybe bring in some stuff that you bought at the store, assembling things, as it were. So the first section is crispy crunchy, so savory snacky bites. I made quite a few from this section. I think probably our favorite was the lentil snacking granola, which I didn't quite get crispy enough, but was very tasty and my husband loved. So it's lentils and various nuts, and then you mix it with thyme and cumin and red pepper and a little bit of sugar. And blend it all with an egg white and then roast it off in the oven. So very simple. You do need to stir it a couple of times. And then, yeah, mine just didn't quite get crunchy enough, but it was in there and it was all cooked. So it was, and it was, it was really tasty and it was a nice way to use lentils that was a little different. Did you have any from that section? I want to make the Chex Mix revisited because it has ramen noodle pieces in it. And it that did look good. Sounds fun, except in the recipe it says make sure you use the deep fried ramen noodles. And when I looked at mine, mine were the healthy ones. Oh, dear. <laughs> so I have to like circle back on that one. But I did make an awful lot of the smoky glazed pistachios one evening. We had a visitor over and they were having this big important conversation. And all of them got eaten as soon as they were out of the oven, which is great. That's how the story is going to go for every recipe that I talk about, except for maybe two. I found them to be super spicy. I, I followed oh. the... I put Aleppo chili on them. I would dial it back next time. Oh, okay. And they were also very sticky, at yes. least on my teeth. I don't know how to remedy that, really. I mean, it was wonderful. Maybe with maple syrup, it wouldn't be as sticky as the honey. Yeah, I think... I can't remember if I used honey or maple syrup. Mine were very dark, so I don't know if I overcooked them. They were good. They were not my favorite. And then I didn't use the Aleppo I used. I think I just used maybe chipotle chili powder that I had in my cabinet, so not something freshly ground and whatnot. And I probably didn't use as much, so mine were not too spicy. There was a nice, nice balance there. I think 
next time I'm going to try it with a little less pepper and I want to do it with almonds and ghee instead mm-hmm. of the butter because I love the flavor of the ghee. And then it won't get eaten as much because nobody else likes the ghee like I do. Oh, really? Interesting. I don't know. Maybe if they don't know and they think it's just part of the flavor. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. The sriracha snack mix was also really good. That when you use peanuts and puffed rice and almonds as well and cider vinegar and maple syrup. And that was, I think that was the first one I made. And that one was tasty. And popcorn. Popcorn. Mostly that was just an excuse to finally use my red popcorn from Rancho Gordo, which you had told me about. It's so white. Isn't it so it's great? It's delicious. Yes. Very exciting. I use my Rancho Gordo also. I did not do it stovetop because no. I have that. The microwave. Uh-huh. Yeah. We have the same thing, I which is fantastic. call it a jelly. It's silicone. Sil- yeah, I think so. That thing is foolproof. Yes. I love it. It's great. And it means that all of your fat can be like you you don't need it for the cooking part you can just it's just a flavor enhancer and i like it with the furikake seasoning that was what we did yeah yeah that was good i don't think everyone else was terribly impressed but i thought it was great i mean it was popcorn so it (laughs) got eaten did you have anything else from that section i don't think so i want to make these um beer cheese how do you say that there's fried chickpeas there's a cup oh the rosemary the rosemary fried nuts yeah. with, that's with cashews. That looked good too. Easy. They require, it, it calls for raw cashews. And so I did buy raw cashews. I needed them for something else as well. I think I for the mushroom those. pate. Yes. We needed that's what it, it for. Yeah. But I thought that was a great way to add flavor to the cashew was to pan fry them. So then the next section is tangy and juicy pickles and marinades. And I thought Courtney would be pretty excited about this because she does love a good pickle. I do. I love pickles. And for this, I have a jar of the honeyed pickled shallots in my fridge. Delicious. Nice. I love shallots and I love honey and I love pickles. Yeah. What's not to love? I kept wanting to make the pickles, but then I would not plan ahead and it wouldn't happen. And they don't get eaten like the other things do. So these I put on a salad and I also put them into a a little sandwich that I had made on focaccia. Oh, yeah. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. And I didn't make the focaccia. I want to be a like make your own cracker and bread person, but Mm. it is not happening in this phase of life. Fair. And we have access to really great bread places and so mea culpa but i'm gonna buy them (laughs) fair then we both did the orange and mustard marinated it's supposed to be asparagus i did it with asparagus i did it with broccoli because i'm a rule breaker yeah i mean that sounds delicious also it Uh, was it was really good it was nice i mean it's a simple enough concept but nice and flavorful and then i also did marinated beans with sun-dried tomatoes which were delicious i think that was a big hit with the husband as well you know making your beans and then adding a marinade just opens up a lot of very interesting possibilities of things to do with them you get Um, a lot more mileage out of your vegetables with a little enhancement yeah my standout favorite for the whole book uh maybe definitely up there definitely up there yeah i think no (laughs) 
Okay. The umami roasted tomatoes. Yeah. This couldn't be simpler, really. It's just little cherry tomatoes on a sheet of parchment on a tray with some olive oil. But I had that soy sauce that I was obsessed with. The smoky soy sauce that I spent like $36 on. Yes. That lives in my cabinet that feels like a lot of soy sauce. I used that and... They were delicious. So I made a whole tray. The kids tried one or two. They weren't, they're not crazy about it. But I put it on my, this is back a couple weeks ago. I had made like an artichoke dip pasta. So -hmm. it was like kind of a creamy pasta. Oh, yeah. And I put the tomatoes on it too. And it cut right through the, you know how? Yeah, yeah. Delightful. Dinner a Love Story does that with her chickpea macaroni and cheese, the side is like a little fresh tomato salsa. I was mimicking that flavor enhancement. Oh my gosh, I love these tomatoes. So they thankfully did make some extra and then I had them, I had them smashed on toast with the mushroom pate, which we'll talk about. And I also put them in a salad. Nice. So I got a lot of mileage out of the umami roasted tomatoes, and the flavor was superb. Cool. Yeah, those were on my list, and I did not get to them yet, so I will definitely have to circle back because we keep getting cherry tomatoes in the produce box now, which is very exciting. I feel like I should bring you some of that special soy sauce, though, because it was that's part of it was this deep, rich, smoky, Mm. although I don't know if it's gluten-free. I'll look. Speaking of the mushroom pate, that is in the next section, which is (laughs) scooped and smeared dips and spreads. I was all over this section. I made at least four of them. So the mushroom pate was in there, which has dried mushrooms and fresh mushrooms and the raw cashews. And this was very tasty. This was so good. People were very fond of this one in my household. Definitely sets up. As it sits, which is a little bit tricky. I had a very nice consistency when I first made it. And then, and it, it he said that was going to be part of it, but I was not going to remix it all when I served it. So I'm not quite sure. I guess maybe make it a little bit looser when you start off beginning. I don't know, but it was great flavor. This was great flavor. And I think for me, this is a, this is a jumping off point mm-hmm. because I adore mushrooms love mushrooms and it made me think of our great dinner up in sacramento that was really mushroom heavy and i wanted uh uh-huh that mushroom bisque oh my word i wanted to like use twice as many mushrooms and roast them off or something Mm. slow roast them so that it would have that like bottomless mushroom flavor and i also thought that an alternative to doing that would be to maybe add a little marsala or something like... Didn't we add something? I'm pretty sure I added something. Two tablespoons of brandy or whiskey. And I think marsala would have been a better flavor for it, for me personally. I ate this on everything for as long as it lived in the fridge. I put it on breakfast toast with Mm. the umami tomatoes. Yum. Mm. I put this on crackers. I put it on the half of a sandwich. 
Yeah. And like made a, I had turkey and oh, something else. It would probably there. be good in a grilled cheese though. It'd be excellent in a grilled cheese. Yeah. I think this pate has mega mileage. And I, I think that would be my only tweak was I would, I might try roasting, slow roasting those mushrooms first. Yep. And I loved the cashew, although I don't know if you noticed. I this. almost forgot to add my cashews. That's because it doesn't tell you when to add them. Oh, really? Yeah, I've read it like six times. Huh. I guess that's why. So, yeah. Interesting. But this was a very interesting recipe, and I love that kind of spread, you know, that just where you can just do a lot of different things with it, and it can go with a lot of different meals and... This was super versatile for me. The other dips were, that I made were pretty good as well. I did the toasted walnut and feta dip, which was very feta heavy, which is good. I think I probably could have tweaked that one a bit, but that was good. The toasted chili nut butter spread, also good. Needed to up the chili on that, but that was a me because I had dialed it back to make sure that it wasn't too spicy for my people. But that was a nice flavor. I think that was what one did of you, the first ones. What did you do with it? We just, we had crackers or something, you know, it was part of, part of the spread. The big hit for my husband was the eggplant and chickpea whip, which is kind of like hummus, but also has roasted eggplant in there. And you add some of the chickpea liquid as well, which apparently makes it super fluffy. So it was very, mm. very light. And I think he was just eating it with a spoon every once in a while. That's great. Um, so that one was really good as well. The people... The people really enjoyed that one. So we'll probably have to come back to that. I have the onion jam in the fridge, but I forgot about it. Like I haven't tried it. Oh, okay. Yeah, let me know how so that I'll is. I'll have to circle back on the that. The chili one. ginger one sounded really good as well. Did you make the charred allium? And I did not get to that one. This one interests me too. Yeah, lots of very interesting options there. I like charred. Charred is good. Like charred allium sounds good. Yeah. I like to do that with scallions sometimes. Oh, I made the elemental guacamole because how can you not? I mean, I didn't, but yeah, it's guacamole. Is it good? What is, what is, is there anything? The only thing that was different for me was adding in the, I don't usually add cilantro to my guacamole. Oh, okay. I, I normally do salt, limes, avocado, sometimes some um, heat in various forms. I did not do the red onion. I think I used a little bit of a shallot because I was doing the pickled shallots. Mm. <clears throat> that would be good. And again, it got eaten. Yeah. I mean, it's guacamole. Next up is the centerpiece-ish, a little heartier. In this section is the feta and jam tart that I had, well, I had talked about the crust at least. Things that are slightly more main dish-like can kind of anchor things or if you feel like people will be very concerned about only having little tiny snacky plates. So the feta and jam tart turned out really delicious. This was the one where I did the, you know, the crust that you melt the butter and then add all the stuff to the pan and then press out the dough instead of rolling it, which was delicious. You blend feta and some things and put it in the pan and dot it with jam. Or he also says you could use like onions, uh, caramelized onions. And so you get that nice contrast between the super salty and then the kind of sweet jam. My people didn't quite know what to do with it. Is it dessert? Is it a snack? <laughs> what is going on here? But everyone agreed it was tasty. <laughs> and so I really liked it. My people don't love feta. 
Well, that's a problem. Yeah. I think you said you could use other cheeses. And then I want to make the Australian zucchini slice as well, which is kind of a quiche sort of zucchini thing. I thought that sounded interesting. The pear, savory pear tart looks delicious, except that it uses puff pastry, so that is not happening in my house. That might happen when the pears are yeah. ready to go. I think my main problem with that section is a lot of it was kind of tarts and things with gluten. So I, it's not a fail, people. It's more of a... Learning opportunity? Yeah. So the oatmeal arancini. I'm Sicilian, part Sicilian. And arancinis are like part of my DNA, I swear. And so I thought I would attempt the oatmeal arancini. And you have to make it ahead of time. You have to make the oatmeal ahead of time and put it in the fridge. And I have an aggressive fridge cleaner router. And so that went the way of the compost without my even knowing it. So when I went in to make the arancini, it was composted. Which I have so many questions. <laughs> Actually, just one, really. I think it just didn't look appetizing, and oh. there, there it went. It just feels like it would have been a lot. It is a lot. To get thrown out without checking. <laughs> I take it from Courtney's facial expressions that she agrees with me. Anyway. I'll circle back on that one. Yeah. Sound good, people? So then we have small but mighty salads and soups. The lentil carrots and dates with dill was pretty good, even though I'm not a big carrot fan. I thought that was tasty. The biggest surprise was the celery salad with maple candied almond and shallot. I do not like celery people, and I voluntarily made a celery salad, mostly because it is about half apple. um, And it actually ended up being a really nice combination. I love celery, and I didn't even think to try it. Yeah, well, I looked. At, you look at the picture, and I mostly could see the apple. So, but then you've also got these candied almonds on it, and the shallots. Actually, it's almond and shallot that you cook together with a you know maple thing. So you're basically making another kind of granola snacky business. And then there's a nice vinaigrette, and it all just as long as I had a bite of everything at once, it was a really nice combination, and I was super happy with it. It was super fresh with all the nice crunchy bits. Really good. Uh, I also did, there was another asparagus salad um, with white beans. My crispy cheddar topping did not work out quite as I'd hoped, but was not too bad. And then I also tried the gingery cucumber almond soup, and I think I just didn't blend it enough, or I didn't soak my almonds long enough. Something was not quite right, but it was both gingery and cucumbery, so it did, <laughs> it did hit that. Got that right. That's good. I didn't cook anything from that section. None of the salads? No, I just like my salads. Yeah, fair. You know. You should try the lentils and carrots, though. I will. If you're looking for some good lentil business. That one was a hit. Sturdy support, crackers, breads, and chips. There is a gluten-free cracker in there, which I did not get around to trying. And yeah. Like I said, I want to be a homemade cracker person. But why? Yeah. Okay. So that section we did not try, but I'm sure there are great and then finally sips and sweets drinks and desserts and i did not hit this either i wanted to try the cocktails but again it was a celery cocktail and an absinthe one and neither of those things that sound particularly... i like celery i might try that one yeah but i did do the fresh ginger tisane oh yeah how was that it's it's awesome i mean i it's very similar to one that i make all the time anyway 
I love the idea of grabbing a Meyer lemon and like having that mellower lemon Mm. flavor. And I have had success making that and chilling it and then drinking it cold too. Mm. So yeah, that one has, that one has some legs. I'll have to check that one out. Yeah. And then there's a little menu section at the back, which I always love menus. There's weekdays ones. There's one that are more dinner party forward, just ideas for combining, combining the recipes. This salted pistachio amaretti sounds good, too. Yeah, some of them sounded good. I just was not feeling dessert, dessert-like. I did want to just so we could test them out, but did not get around to them. So There are, there are several other recipes that I wanted and definitely going to circle back on the arancini, but two that I want to try. Uh, one is the sipping broth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that just sounds really lovely, and I can see having that in a big jug in the fridge, and nobody's gonna. Well, somebody might compost it, but um, <laughs> but it would be that sounds nice, especially for right now when it's cold and yes. foggy. Yeah, and then the the old fashioned olive oil loaf, which is mm-hmm. like old fashioned cocktail olive oil loaf. I'm very curious about that one, but I didn't get a chance to make it yet. Yeah, no, there's definitely a few other things. There was um, some a marinated mushroom and walnut oil, I think, that I wanted to try and didn't get to. And and so there's a lot of things. And I and I do also feel like I would want to come back and make that um, feta tart again. I think that could be interesting in a lot of situations. I like the pictures. He had lots of pictures and not of just one item, but it's a bunch of items. So you can kind of see how things are arranged and assembled. It's definitely more chefy than, say, like weekday vegetarians. I don't, they're not usually super complicated or long, but maybe more, you need to make it ahead. There's a little more planning involved, I felt. Definitely. And I mean, if people aren't grazing through your kitchen, you could do a couple of them and then have them, you know, in the wings kind of a thing. I will definitely repeat the, that umami tomato thing. And I want to really, I, I'm all about the mushrooms, the, that mushroom pate. I think that it is a great recipe and it has the potential to be like killer good <laughs> with a little bit more roasting of the mushrooms for me. Yeah, I'll probably make the eggplant and chickpea whip again because that was such a hit. The lentil snacking granola as well. There's Yeah, there's definitely a bunch of ones that are making their way into the repertoire. Yeah, I yeah. think so. And and some of them are fancier, so you could, you know, use them as a little punch up for what might otherwise be kind of a boring meal um, yeah. if you have time. So, yeah. So this checks off the three recipes from one book. <laughs> yes. And bingo. And appetizers, spread. I think. Yeah. I was... they're, they're not technically appetizers, really. Yeah. I might have to count it, though. We'll see where yeah, we'll I see. am <laughs> in early September how far I got into it. But yeah, it was fun. It's a really fun book, especially for summer, I think. I mean, mm-hmm. there's... There's definitely... I mean, there's some with sweet potatoes yeah. that are not as summery recipes. But for... It's definitely on the lighter side. Yes. In terms of fare. So yeah, enjoy. Yeah. Enjoy it. It was really good. So after all that chit chat, you'll be glad to hear for On the Nightstand, I only have four books. 
Although two of them were fantastic, so I might talk about them for too long. All right, first, Wildfire by Anne Cleves, which I listened to, which is book eight in the Shetland series. And I am done, people. There are no more books. She actually wraps it up. I didn't know you were allowed to do that with a mystery series. (laughs) (laughs) No more murders in the Shetland Islands. Apparently not, which is good because they lost a lot of people. (laughs) I'm telling you. Yeah, so this one, it it was a delightful mystery if we can say that about mysteries um you do especially since you need a content warning for suicide and child abuse Oy vey. yep so there is a family that has moved into the neighborhood from london and people aren't super happy with them for various reasons that are not actually their fault or have anything to do with their personality more just them being outsiders and they're starting to get little nasty notes and then the local doctor's nanny shows up hanged in their barn, but it looks like she was murdered before. So off we go. And then, yeah, and then she wraps it all up. Overall, I really like the series. I think I had mentioned in the first book, I wasn't sure about how she portrays the women, and I am still kind of unsure about that. Mm, that's a good point. So Jimmy Perez is a great guy, though. <laughs> um, he's our detective. I read the whole series just a couple of times. I was like, hmm, that's an interesting choice that she's made there. So I'm looking for a new mystery series. I checked out the first one of, I guess it's her new series, which takes place in Devon in England, I think. But I haven't started listening to that yet. So I am open for other suggestions. If you have really good mystery series, let me know. And then I read When We Lost Our Heads by Heather O'Neill, which was weird. (laughs) It takes place in Montreal in the late 1800s. Marie and Sadie, they are rich girls. Marie is the richest girl in Montreal, and everyone loves her because she's sweet and charming, and she likes kind of being in charge of her girl gang. Sadie is a little bit of an outsider. Her family is a little nouveau riche without mm, quite all the riche that they actually need, so they encourage her to be friends, and the girls do start to be friends. Something goes terribly wrong. They're separated for years. They get back together. They're separated again. And then there's some sort of workers' revolt. There's a lot going on in this book, and there's this weird sort of French Revolution theme going on. Marie is actually Marie Antoine. There's a Mary Robespierre. There's Jean-Pauline Danton. I mean, she brings in all the names, and there's the workers' revolution, and it's very strange. The description from the publisher was this that this book dazzlingly explores gender and power, sex and desire, class and status, and the terrifying power of the human heart when it can't let someone go. And that's pretty accurate. It was good. I enjoyed it. And I was also spending a lot of time scratching my head going, what? What is happening? Do I actually like this book? I think I do. Okay. Maybe check it out. It was definitely something different. And then... Rosaline Palmer takes the cake by Alexis Hall. I needed a delightful rompy romance after reading the Heather O'Neill. I love this book so much. Alexis Hall is such a great writer. He wrote boyfriend material and uh, some other ones. So this one takes place during a cooking show that is basically the Great British Bake Off. It is oh my gosh, adorable, so and so it's the contestants. And I got to the end, there are actual recipes. So I am 100% cooking from cooking this from this book. I'm very excited. Yeah, which, and oh, there was one thing I wanted to mention. You do not need to find a book that had like a novel that has actual recipes. That's just a bonus. If they go out for tacos, you can make tacos. I just wanted to make sure that people knew that. 
Yes. Again, we're very loosey-goosey about this whole thing. So however you want to make it work. Yeah. Anyway, that's different. So, and the sequel is coming out in October. So this one was super adorable. So Rosalind Palmer is a contestant on this baking show. She is a single mom and she is hoping that she'll do well enough to like get a book deal or something and be able to to quit her her not so great job and to be able to, you know, have nicer things for her daughter and she meets a guy who seems really great but then we realize he's not but then there's another guy who is great so how long is it going to take her to figure that out there's also all this lovely baking talk she has issues with her parents there's so much stuff going on in this book it's delightful and there was the funniest scene i was crying laughing so hard then that can count for yes it can (laughs) as i'm laughing i'm like oh yes i hit a bingo square I was not expecting to do it. Hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. So yeah, I laughed. I cried. I just, it was the perfect book for me. I'm very excited about the next one. And and a great British baking show. It's so funny. That's great. Yeah, that was delightful. And then Fevered Star by Rebecca Roanhorse. This is the second one in what I assume is going to be a trilogy. The first one was Black Sun, which I also really loved. Fantasy epic based on the indigenous cultures and religions of Mexico. So a little bit different. So in this one, the crow god has been reborn. He's murdered all the sun priests except one. There is lots of turmoil in the capital. The ruling families are struggling for power. You know, shenanigans ensuing. (laughs) A Tuesday and wherever <laughs> yes uh it was great uh the, her characters are so interesting she has kind of three main characters that are were in the first book and so now you're continuing their saga it it does definitely feel like a middle book of a trilogy we've just kind of moved things along and so things do happen but not you can tell there's more stuff to happen but very interesting the setup of the world is really cool Yeah, just, I mean, she's a great descriptive writer, and it's just a little bit different, and her characters are really interesting, and they have, they're not one-dimensional, they have lots of issues, um, especially the two that are sort of possessed by gods. I guess they're avatars, so they're both their their own people with their own personalities, but also being possessed by gods and living out their destiny, which is not always a fun thing to do. So I'm very excited. Now I have to wait probably another two years for the finale, but... Oh, well, there's plenty of other books to read. I think you'll keep busy. Yeah. How about you? I have two for you today. I read The Giver by Lois Lowry as my not necessarily banned, but challenged book. And it's definitely a newer classic, I think. Yeah, I don't think I've ever read that. Yeah. And I couldn't figure out why. Well, I couldn't remember having read it. And then when I looked at the copyright, it was published in 1993. Oh, there you go. And it was considered YA at the time. So that wouldn't have landed for either of us. And then it won a Newbery Award in 94. So this is a slim novel. And it's considered young adult fiction. And it is... It opens, um, our main character is Jonas, and he lives in what we're introduced to as a utopian society. 
and everything has been very carefully constructed. Family units are intentionally built a certain way and the society runs a certain way. And as he is approaching his 12th year, he is then selected for his community job for the rest of his life. And all of the adults are meant to pay attention to each child's skills and talents and help guide them into their job track. And then they get training and then they become whatever. And there's lots of different jobs in this community. There are teachers and caregivers. And and what I liked about it initially was that there weren't gender stereotypes necessarily. Like his mother is an attorney and his father is a caregiver. And so I liked that initially. This book goes from really interesting and weird to very dark and complicated. I can see why some people would be challenged by that. And to that, I say, they're not reading it carefully. (laughs) I think this was really illuminating in a lot of ways. And I think that I'm glad my kids have read it. They read it in, I think, either middle school or freshman year. Both of them have. I did notice when I was doing a little bit of research afterward that they made it into a movie with Meryl Streep and forget who else. Even from the quick trailer that I saw, the boy is much older. Mm. Like he looks like an 18-year-old. When I feel like what's important about this book is thinking how a 12 or 13-year-old would be processing the information that he's given. Without sharing too, too much, Jonas's role in this society is to be a memory keeper. And the reason why there's only one person who keeps memories and then that job is being passed to Jonas is because when the society goes to make a decision about something, like to forego certain emotions or constructs, like this is a very idealized, same utopian, in quotation marks, but the that they have forgotten all of the pitfalls of why they even wanted to be mm. there. And so that's the memory keeper's role. But as the the older man, the giver, is conveying these memories to Jonas, so much has been lost in taking away hard you know, fear or like anger by removing those emotions. Also, they've lost love and um, excitement. And, and it is such a weird and interesting book. And I'm thrilled to have had a chance to circle through it. And I'm, I'm going to be thinking about it for a long time. That only took me like a day and a half to read. And really what I've been, what I spent the last... 10 days or so reading, savoring is Daughter of Fortune by Isabel Allende. Mm -hmm. That was written in 2000 and I had never read it. I chose this book because Allende is a Bay Area author and the book actually, a large portion of it takes place in the Bay Area and in California. Our main character is Eliza And she is an orphan child who is found on the steps of a 
a wealthy British family who is living in Chile. They're a shipping family. And so she is brought up in that household. There's lots of history about each of the siblings. There's three siblings and they raise her and the household has rich stories and the the cook helps raise her. And so she has these connections with the staff and with the family. Then the gold rush happens in California. And so everybody in Chile is trying to get to California. And because they're a shipping family, they're taking lots of people up there. And they're also there's this intrepid entrepreneur wife character who hires the ship to take food and produce because it's a bunch of bachelors digging holes like gophers across California looking for gold. So they don't have fresh produce or there's no agriculture industry or anything. So that side of California history is coming into it. Like all of the gold rush stuff, all of the early San Francisco people coming by ship and what the city was like and how Chinatown was built up. There's a character who helps Eliza and he becomes really important and he's Chinese and he is a I forget the word that they use for him, but he's basically like an acupuncture alternative medicine doctor and what his life is like in San Francisco during that time and how they navigate being new immigrants in this upstart city. It was delightful. It was Mm. so great, so rich. I learned a lot about gold rush history that I didn't know because I didn't grow up in California. She does not shy away from that early racism and how anyone who was coming to California from anywhere else was initially welcomed. And then when the rest of America realized that there was gold in California, and then they came in and treated everyone so terribly, that was hard to read. It was kind of like that book, The Four Winds, that Kristen Hanna, mm-hmm. about what happened during the Dust Bowl and how immigrants were treated during that time. Again, it's not a surprise, but just really well-crafted story about it. I loved this book. I'm cool. so glad I read it. Yeah. Nice. We got two kind of classics, if we can call a book from 2000 classic. I know. It's only 22 years old. Oh, my goodness. All right, bingo. Started Friday, May 27th, and will end on Monday, September 5th. So you still have plenty of time. And if you do need a bingo card still, we can make that happen. You can either email us or DM us for a PDF or grab a screenshot off of our Instagram to enter for the grand prize. At least you will need to post a photo of a bingo card with a completed line row or diagonal on instagram use the hashtag ccrr summer bingo 2022 or you can post it on the ravelry thread we are also doing chatter prizes because the wonderful jennifer lassonde has donated copies of her patterns for the winner's choice so we'll have two chatter prizes and then one of those will be included in our grand prize Uh, So I'll probably do one for Instagram chatter and one on Ravelry so you can, you know, chat it up. And we've been having a lovely talk over on Ravelry. People are posting things and it's very exciting. And if you do a blackout and post a picture of that, you will get a second entry into the grand prize package. So good luck. 
yeah, so I had I had my laughing, my laughing square finally got taken care of. Chili tofu was my new recipe. Three recipes from one book, snacks for dinner. One of the main characters in Fevered Star is blind. I could potentially count that for a disability. Yeah, although because he does very well. And he also uses crows to see, so that makes an interesting workaround. <laughs> I would like to propose changing that to differently abled because yes. I'm using my I'm using TrueBiz and I feel like that community wouldn't want to be labeled as such maybe. So this isn't this is an opportunity to like make it fit for you. It's yes. okay to make well, it fit. Well and yeah and as I mean I think most of our books yeah have demonstrated even without using the crows to aid his vision, this character is totally self confident and yeah. Does his own thing and he, you know, takes out entire crews of sun priests. So I don't think anybody would really call him disabled. I got my reading local with Daughters of Fortune. I finished a project, work in progress with the pigeon, the the double dutch. Mm-hmm. I was brave with color with my pink pants and my new goldenrod planner. Very nice. That doesn't really count, but whatever. It's a nice loud color. I cooked three recipes from Lucas Volger's cookbook, and I read my classic challenged book, The Giver. I still don't have a bingo. I have lots of fours. I think I have four fours. Nice. So look out. Any moment now. Although I'm about to not cook for another week. Oh, well. Yeah. Yeah, the cooking has been tricky this year. I feel like I used to get that one more. Yeah. Quickly, and it's not happening. J.R. Carl 515 has been getting several. Oh, good. Yeah, she listened to Once There Were Wolves, which both of us have read and recommended. Oh, and someone asked a question about that. We don't actually have to say that we like it. It's just that we talked about it. So right. even if we're kind of like, I don't know, meh about it, it might be the perfect book for you. So as long as we mentioned it at some point, go ahead and read it. And also you can find a list of books. If you go to the show notes, there'll be a link to our bookshop.org page that'll have all of our books from most of the past two years if you need ideas or you can just look in the show notes as well and then she also made a double batch of snickerdoodle bars which look pretty delicious (laughs) i gotta say oh and then our friend Anne marie had a mother celebrating a big birthday and she made this like quadruple layer vanilla cake with chocolate frosting that looked so professional and amazing did you see that? No, but where's my piece? <laughs> I know. She should have shared. She did actually, I think, make two cakes or maybe she ordered one and it Yum. Was, looked really fantastic. I mean, look at that. Oh, that's spectacular. Right? Yeah. It's got sprinkles and lines and that fluffy is a, business that is up a top. I mean, cake. and well done there. You guys are doing a fantastic job of posting photos this year. I have been loving it so much. Yeah, it's great fun for us. It's great, yeah. And I think that's it for now. Next week, we'll be back to just a regular review-free episode. Stay cool wherever you are. Unless you're here, then stay warm. Yeah. (laughs) And make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf at c-o-r-t-n-e-y-s-f. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N, 
And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.